Well, you may know that there's a new movie out at the moment called The Matrix, with some other tagline. Uh, Matrix re Revisited, Matrix Revelations, I, I haven't quite uh, figured it out yet. And uh, has anyone seen it? Anyone seen the new Matrix movie? Not yet. Well, I'm debating whether I'll ever go and see it because I've got a deep suspicion that anything that they do will be even worse than the, the already existing sequels. Um, nonetheless, uh, it's been an inspiration for me to jump back in and watch the original, which happened, uh, I, I happen to notice, was on TV last night. And uh, I think potentially the only good thing I can say about the fact that there's a new Matrix movie out is as an excuse for me to dive back into 15-year-old illustrations. Because anyone who was a Christian 15, 20 years ago when The Matrix came out for the first times will know that you could do endless Bible studies uh, based on The Matrix. Uh, and all its themes about promised ones and messiahs. Uh, and uh, if you'll just uh, bear with me, uh, let me tell you one of those illustrations now. There's this guy, everyone knows this, right? Everyone knows the story of the Matrix. Everyone's watched it for, everyone can sing the song that, that goes on when Neo walks into the lobby and uh, kills all the bad guys. Like, we all know the Matrix, right, surely. But, you know, uh, Nonetheless, just in case uh, I'm speaking to uh, someone who needs to go home after this and rent the movie, uh, there's this guy called Morpheus. Uh, and he's this sort of leader of the, the rebellion of human beings who have realised that uh, life in the Matrix is no life at all. It's just a computer-generated reality. Some might call it the metaverse. And uh, he's the one who gets out and uh, who sort of is leading this team of people to kind of fight back against the computers and win freedom for humanity. And though he's extremely important, uh, and though he has become the leader of this movement of people, he knows that there's someone greater than him who is to come. There is this prophesied one. And uh, he believes he's found him in the person of Neo. And so uh, Morpheus... Uh, goes to great efforts to uh, free Neo from the Matrix and then ultimately uh, jumping through a wall in an act of uh, potential self-sacrifice to make sure that Neo can uh, be saved and can fulfil his destiny. A great movie and a great introduction to John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is someone who is a great man with a great ministry that's going really, really well. God has given him this significant ministry in the desert to call people to repentance, to, 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 to confess their sins and to turn their hearts back to God. And yet John knows that his ministry isn't all about him. He knows that he has this very specific purpose in his ministry, which is to point others to the one who is to come next, to Jesus. And in the first part of our reading today, we see three significant ways that John points others to Jesus. The first is uh, his testimony that he is not the one, but the one that, that, that the one is to come after him. That is, he is not the Messiah, Jesus is. We see this in verses 19 through 28. Uh, the Jewish leaders come out and send some people out to ask John who he was. And he says, verse, uh, he says there in verse 19, I am not the Messiah. 
well, are you some sort of prophet? Are you Elijah? They say, no, I'm not. I'm not, the, I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. Well, who are you? I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I baptise with water, but someone is coming after me, who's, who, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. It's not me. It's the next guy. The next guy, he's the Messiah. He's the one you should be looking for. My ministry exists to get you ready for him. Make straight the way for the Lord. This is, his, this is what his ministry is about, preparing the hearts of the people to receive the Messiah. And when he does see Jesus, we see uh, he exclaims, here is not just the Messiah, but verse 29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see it again in verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Very key and specific words chosen by John to tell uh, the people who were there following him, being baptised, that this is the one whom God had sent to take away sin, to stand in our place. The the, the imagery of the, the Lamb of God begins early in the Old Testament with God providing a, a, a lamb to Abraham in, in place of him having to sacrifice his only son. And it continues in the, in the temple worship with the, 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 the scapegoat and with the sacrificial lambs that were offered as a payment for sin. Jesus says, that, uh, John says, that guy Jesus... He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The promised one, the Messiah. My thing's nothing compared to the thing that he has come to do, compared to the person that he is. Now, it's one thing, isn't it, to say to a bunch of people who've come down to the countryside, uh, to a river, uh, who want to get baptised because they feel, feel like uh, this is a good idea, maybe they're feeling guilty about something, uh, to, to tell them, Jesus solves your problem. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we live in a world which doesn't talk much of sin at all. I don't know how many times I scroll through stories on Instagram that uh, uh, I see motivational posts about how I just need to believe in myself, trust that I'm uh, a good person, trust uh, that uh, I know what's best for me, that I should cut away all toxic people and live a, a life that's completely me-centred and then I will be happy. The problem's not me, it's everyone else. But of course, scratch the surface a little bit, and even if you think about it in your own life, if you're someone who doesn't uh, think that sin's that much of a deal, any big deal anymore, I'm sure you can think of something you've done that maybe you feel a little bit guilty about. Perhaps worse, I'm sure there are things in your life that you would be ashamed of if others knew. I mean, this is what sin is ultimately. It's, it's these things that cause pain and grief and harm, ultimately to God, but also to each other. 
And so what good news it is when John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Jesus is the one who takes away our sin and our guilt and our shame when we trust in him. And so John says, don't focus on me. Like, I can't do any of that. All I can do is get your heart ready to receive the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but John also points to the baptism by the Spirit that Jesus will bring versus his baptism of water, verses 32 and 33. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. John has come with this baptism of water as a symbolic washing of sins. But Jesus comes with a, 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 a real baptism by the Spirit that transforms people, that enables them to see who Jesus really is, that enables people to put to death their sin and live their new lives. Water baptism is a wonderful thing indeed, a great sign of the deeper truth that in Jesus each of us is made new by the Spirit. And when we receive God's Spirit, we enter the kingdom of God. It's quite remarkable really that John the Baptist was so free to kind of conclude his ministry and, and say, look, I existed for a purpose which was to point to Jesus. But look, there he is, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one who baptises with the Spirit, the chosen one of God. That's the guy you should focus on. And in a moment we'll see that some of Jesus' first disciples are John's own disciples. It would be very easy, wouldn't it, for someone like John the Baptist to feel worried about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is going to take my ministry. Jesus is going to take my, maybe he'll take my fame. But of course, he doesn't act like that because he understood that his was a ministry that was about pointing others to God and to Jesus. John the Baptist was simply someone who humbled himself before God and trusted that what he saw to be true, that Jesus was the Messiah, was indeed the truth worth living. John was simply someone who God used to point people to him, to prepare people to meet him. He was someone who got humble hearts ready to receive the gift of salvation. You see, if you don't believe that you need saving, if you don't believe that you need someone to come and rescue you, if you don't believe you have any sins to be taken away, if you think you're all right on your own and with a bit of positive thinking you'll get there in the end, then you're not going to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. But John's ministry existed to humble people, 
as he was humble. To prepare people to realise their deep need of saving. Their complete inadequacy in and of themselves to save themselves. And their deep need for God to rescue them. To send the Messiah. To send the one who would save sinners. The Lamb of God. And we see how this works in the calling of the disciples as people uh, realise who Jesus is and, and uh, make pretty courageous decisions to follow him in the early days of his ministry. As we read of Jesus gathering his first disciples, uh, we see, don't we, how they uh, meet Jesus, and they come to understand who he is and they give up everything to follow him. And, and there's two things I just want to note uh, as we track through the, the calling of these disciples in the latter half of chapter 1 here. And the first is that following Jesus begins with an acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Have a look in verse 36. It's after hearing that Jesus is the Lamb of God that Andrew follows Jesus. It is with Andrew's declaration of Jesus as the Christ that Simon Peter gets on board in verses 41 and 42. With Philip, he is convinced that Jesus is the promised Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament. We see that in verses 44 and 45. And he goes to tell Nathanael, who similarly declares him to be the Son of God in verse 49. Each of these individuals realises who Jesus is, the Saviour, the Lamb of God, the one, the promised Messiah, the one whom God was sending to save Israel. Now, I don't think that they, they fully knew what they were getting themselves in for. I, I don't think they fully understood all the implications of their realisation that Jesus was the Lamb of God. I suspect in, for many of these guys, they thought they were getting on board some sort of overthrow of the Roman governors. And it was only as they spent more time with Jesus they really understood what God was doing. But nonetheless, they understood that Jesus was king, that he was sent from God, and that he was the one that they needed to follow and learn from and be transformed by. And what a transformation story the story of the disciples is as they journey through the gospel and into Acts with Jesus. When we choose to follow Jesus, it starts with understanding of who he is, the saviour, the one God has sent to bring us into relationship with him. But it doesn't end there. It's a continual lifelong process of allowing God's spirit to open our hearts up more and more to the reality of the Lordship of Christ in our lives. The other thing I think that we notice as Jesus gathers these disciples is that he gathers them all slightly differently. Some he gives some space to go back and talk to, some he tells a prophecy to, as with Nathaniel at the end of chapter 1 there, each potential disciple is an individual who Jesus relates to in unique and distinct ways. And that's an important lesson, I think, for us as we think about our role 
as being people who want to point others to Christ, as John the Baptist did, uh, and as uh, people who want to follow Jesus, as the disciples did. That is, each potential disciple uh, has different thoughts, different life experiences, and it requires time and investment in individuals to get to know them, to get to know their story, to get to understand their questions as we seek to share the good news of Jesus in a way that makes sense to those individuals. It's not that we shouldn't learn things like uh, two ways to live or the four spiritual laws or, or frameworks for helping us to think about what the gospel is, but we must apply these things individually as we seek to call others to follow Jesus. Well, as we conclude, following Jesus is the greatest decision that those four men ever made. John the Baptist choosing to humble himself and direct his focus to pointing others to Christ was the greatest decision he ever made. Pointing others to Christ, seeing people come alive in Christ is a truly beautiful thing. As James and Claire have dedicated themselves to a lifetime of pointing Naomi to Christ. May that be our motivation in our lives, with our families, with our friends, that we might point others to Christ. And may we allow Jesus, who has baptised us by the Spirit, as we've realised who he is and come to faith and trust in him, May God's spirit continue to humble us as it did with these disciples who had to give up everything and follow Jesus because of what they'd understood, who they'd understood him to be. And as John the Baptist did in humbling himself and realising his ministry wasn't about him but about Jesus, may God's spirit continue to humble us so that we might not be building personal kingdoms but that we might be seeking to lay down our lives allowing God to be king and allowing his rule and reign to shape us. And as we follow Jesus, may he deepen our understanding of what it means for him to be the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one who takes away our sins each and every day. Amen. (laughs) 